sort of maybe next year, the final podcast of the 2018 season. Uh, it all comes down to this. Um, the Buffalo Bills will be playing the the Washington Redskins in Super Bowl 53. Um, and I just I think we'd all like to remark on how amazing Josh Allen's rookie campaign was. I'm Frank. I'm Scott. I'm Paul. Boy, I am. I, I, I am. I missed deli- all of this. Wow, well, I, I did I, not research I, well for this podcast. Well, I was gonna. <laughs> I just was gonna say that I am delirious with a stomach bug, which is why I'm gonna hand the the hosting duty over to Paul. I may have some of these facts wrong, so right. just I. I mean, you can let me know, but that's what I remember from. Before I was gonna say dream. ever ever since the impeachment, Frank's really been pretty pretty out of it. I know he, <laughs> that was a big personal blow for him, and that 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 well, kind of. <laughs> I just shouldn't have been impeached. <laughs> <laughs> It seemed um, cruel and arbitrary, but here the, we are. Did the government open yet? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> All right. No, I have been really sick this week, and I had to beg off of last night. And I sound nice now, but I'm going to be really quiet for me, as we'll say, during this podcast, because I'm um, I'm not doing great. But but Paul has graciously agreed to lead, and Scott, of course, it, and Paul are the useful ones with knowledge. So it's really like this will probably be the best podcast we do. Paul and I's job this podcast is to uh, make as many outlandish and ridiculous points as we can so that Frank is like having to like repeatedly <laughs> chime in and be like, no, that's terrible logic. That doesn't make any sense. That's Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Who are you people? <laughs> So yeah, I think uh, I think we're all going to talk about how they should cut Allen and you know maybe uh, trade the farm for Tyrod Taylor. Those are the types of talking points that we want to really go into for this this podcast. So it's going to be mostly just talking about how Tyrod is probably available at this point. So if we need a backup, I'm just saying it's probably better than what we got right now. Right. If they gave you secret service upon your departure, Frank, if one of them wants to chime in, if you don't have yeah. the energy, just just have them chime in, introduce themselves. You know, hi, I'm Floyd. Uh, I'm yeah, here Floyd check- is really good. So um, he's a he's a great whatever he is. That's good. what were the names didn't in that Simpsons because this is going to be a lot of vamping in this episode in that Simpsons episode <laughs> where Bush moves in across the street from Homer. Yes. Didn't didn't the didn't he have secret service agents? There and what were their names? I'm trying that, to that is something I don't think I could remember if I was feeling well. I do know that Gerald Ford moves in after. Yes. Um it's a it's actually a really good episode, it's I one think. Of the, one of the best better episodes they've ever I, I really like it, but I cannot remember what the secret And then were. and then of course the really awkward part now where you see like the when the, the Simpsons are pulling another prank on Bush, the one where they get the uh, the wig on him and, and they, they have the they the cutouts of the Bush sons in front yeah. of the, the thing and it's and then it's, and then Barbara goes, "Oh look, it's our sons. It's uh it's George Bush Jr. and Jeb Bush." And he's very excited cuz they'll <laughs> help him they'll help him think of something and then little did we know we were talking about a uh, future president and uh presidential candidate. Little did we That's- know. The episode is called Two Bad Neighbors, for those of you who are curious, the Simpsons episode. So uh, as far as finding the Secret Service agents, that is that is proven uh, the best I can find is them tagged as Secret Service agent. I feel I feel like there was a joke, and it's bothering me because I feel like Bush calls him and say, Bush like tells him like, uh, you know, like Moose Rocco, you know, 
let me handle this or something like that when he's going to get into a fight with with Homer. Right, except they weren't the Caddyshack. Exactly, uh, that's who it is from Caddyshack, which is also a great joke. Moose, Rocco, help the judge find his checkbook. Yeah, right. All right. Hey, was there any football in the last two weeks? Yeah, there. there this is, is what happens when I'm too sick. This is like the substitute is... teachers here, <laughs> you guys are off the rails. Yeah, we. Uh, it's it's like you know, Daddy's working. not watching. We're it's gonna working. we're gonna be. I'm crazy. gonna read this book. I'm gonna read this book at the front of the class. You two just do some homework or something. Quiet. It's it's movie day. It's yeah. like we're gonna watch this movie class. Uh, yeah. So we do have some. Some football news. We will, uh, you know, why don't I, I'm going to switch things up right on the agenda to begin with. And I think the, since we want to talk about football off the bat rather than the, the schedule I'd, I'd had, we want to cover the conference championship games. Because Did anything those, happen in those games? They were kind of, I would say, mildly eventful. Uh, there was a former Bill named, I believe, uh, uh, Quarter Roby Coleman, Dime Roby Coleman. I can't remember exactly his name. Yikes. But he had a play, and I don't know if you caught this in the Rams Saints championship you, has game. It, has it been on any replays recently? Has it been? Has they talked about it at all this week or the last week and a half? I you don't. Know, I'm not I, sure. I remember. I have. I have not seen any coverage. Uh, I. But I. To, to be fair, I have not caught up on my Louisiana State Legislature meetings, where I imagine, from what I hear, they play the video nonstop. And, yeah. you know, on any sports network and on Twitter and on on everywhere. Now, I thought, to be fair, Nikel Roby Coleman uh, was was blind. I think he just legitimately <laughs> didn't know that there was another human being over in that part of the field. He was, he was running from a ghost. Right. What do you want? I, He's trying to get off the field. It's right. the most haunted city in America. New Orleans. I think he heard his buddy Shaggy say, Oh, Zoinks, ghost! And then he just took off. I thought you were going to say it wasn't me. <laughs> I that was my other Shaggy joke. And that's by the way, this is crazy. I was having a conversation earlier, and we also had confusion over which Shaggy was being discussed. So this is the second time where Shaggy the rapper, the Shaggy the Scooby Doo character, has become a debate today. So yeah, that's something, but it's really nothing. So anyway, you know, and I want to talk too much about that specific play. I'll just give my quick thought on the game, then turn it over to. Scott, but boy, that was a really exciting game. I think it was overshadowed by that call at the end, which was a terrible call, and we should be talking about the Saints being the Super Bowl to be straightforward. But to try and not focus on that, you know, kudos to the Rams. 13 points down the first quarter. You know, they, you know, Wade Phillips and his defense seemed to really hold New Orleans at bay. Mm -hmm. The offense just chipped away at the lead. Very good, very exciting game. I will not lie. Well, I did not have a specific rooting interest in the game. I had a slight leaning toward the Saints. By the end, I was so rooting for the Saints, thinking because this is all people are going to talk about for weeks is this damn missed pass interference call <laughs> if the Saints don't win. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. So, Scott, your thoughts on the game, I, the call, and you know yeah, what, what you thought? I mean that that was um that was a really tough. I mean. It's I don't I'm tr struggling to think of a call that significant that that was that that was was that bad. I know on the, like PTI the next day, which I normally do not watch, but it, it was around 5:30 at some point on that day after, and I was like, oh, I'm sure they're going to talk about it. Why not? And mm -hmm. and Wilbon and Kornheiser were saying it was comparable to like the 2003 or 2004 like Kings Lakers. Western Conference Finals, where the refs just totally botched it repeatedly and handed the Lakers um, a trip to the finals. I think 
um, which which and those guys obviously watch at least a little more sports than me. I'm sure there's probably like a curling tournament somewhere where the officials completely botched it worse than that. But in terms of big time things, like I'm struggling to think of one that is because that game was over. If they right. get a first down there, even if they don't get a first down, they were already basically in field goal range. Even if they go to third down or fourth down and kick it from there, they're they're pretty close to being able to run out the clock and the Rams are going to have to do some pretty amazing stuff to get back down there. Mm-hmm. Obviously they ended up getting the field goal and then obviously the the 57 yard field goal in overtime to win it is just or wait, I forget, was it overtime or it was with no time left? I forget what it was. It was overtime. It was yeah. overtime. Yeah. Both games yeah. Went, there was some joke because there was like the Drake curse <laughs> about how he always picks the wrong team and then he picked <laughs> the two teams he he had a shirt with all four teams on so that he couldn't curse any of them mm-hmm. but they all all the games went to overtime so exactly went in in regulation because no, he right no, that makes sense um so yeah that was uh i mean that was an interesting game i i am a little disappointed and we'll get to the preview of the big game later but i i I'm obviously the biggest thing that i was thinking that whole game was i mean golf played well and he he had a couple throws there that made me think that you know maybe you know he's he's got the talent and the the he's got the talent to win a big game but boy i'd much rather have drew Brees going against tom brady it just seems like i don't know that he's going to be able to i mean he, they did nothing for the first half of that game and the only reason they were able to get anything on the board at the end was because mcveigh went for it on fourth with a fake punt which is almost certainly not going to work against belichick who never has things like that work against him um, it, right. the only way you're going to win is if you catch four balls on your helmet over the course of the game. And, uh, and, uh, and it just, it's super frustrating. Cause I mean, I'm not even sure that the saints are better. I just would feel more confident about someone other than Pat's winning. If it was, you know, Drew Brees back there. So this is the game I did not watch. I, I did see the replays and, um, I'm, I'm most fearful that we're going to now challenge, um, judgment calls on the field. Uh, and or, or judgment non calls, right? right. It's just a, it's um, to your point about whether there's been a bigger snafu in sports. I think you have to go to different sports. I think you could point to something. Um, I think you can point to something that says, uh, uh, like, uh, no goal. It, Dallas, I was going to say, I was going to Dallas Buffalo. I mean, um, we and then there, there was yeah. the uh, there was the Kansas City, the Kansas City uh, World Series. Well, you have Dan Deckinger, the first Dan base Deckinger. umpire. Yeah, you, you've got to like, I mean, like all time gaffes, and it's up there because it's a championship game going to the Super Bowl, and 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 those two are for the actual title. Um, but I don't even know that. No, I mean, as much as I don't like no goal, um, then it could be that it's. Um, what am I trying to say? This is my brain not working. No goal was a tighter call than this penalty was. This this was the big. This was a bigger missed call than the other two. Yeah, agree. But even if even die. if the even if the stakes were higher in the other in the other. Uh, sure, I'll buy that thing. Yeah. One thing I want to, and you you raise this uh, point, Frank, and I, I think it's worth explaining. I'll give my opinion, and then we'll pass it right back to Frank while his brain is still moving along. The idea of reviewable judgment calls. Now, there's some school of thought that, of course, you don't can't shouldn't make all judgment calls reviewed because then you're looking at every play where they have a successful run, and you're looking for holding on an offensive lineman. It, so that doesn't doesn't cut it. There's some logic. People think they're making just pass interference calls or non-calls that would, you know, that are at a key juncture in the game or result in a lot of yardage, et cetera, because those tend to be such 
major calls to make at least those reviewable or have some minor review system in place. Before I pass over to Frank, I will go on record as saying no, simply because, you know, while Scott pointed out, and we all agree, that was an egregious missed call. Most of the times when there's a pass interference call or non-call being debated, I find myself leaning towards whichever one favors the bills because that is my personal bias, whether I want it to exist or not. Right. I think it just, it, it colors what you see. And I think most of them are so close and not clear cut that it really opens just a can of worms. Uh, unlike this egregious one, but Frank, if you disagree or, or have any thoughts, you know, can you, can you ask that again? I got lost in your answer. Sure. So did I should, pass interference calls be reviewable under any circumstance or under certain yeah. circumstances or any circumstance. I mean, this is, this is the thing, right? Like it's a terrible call and that should be fixed, but uh, I don't know. Like, do you want to hand that power over to somebody? I think that the only thing I've heard that even makes it palatable is the idea that it would be a penalty on, you know, on top of a timeout loss or something. like you'd need a serious penalty so that you'd only call it when you you absolutely are certain something happened. Um, like they did with hockey in the offside. Like the offsides challenges are way down this year because it's now a two-minute minor if you if you get it wrong. Um, but if, you, if you're if you not going to do something like that, um, then don't do it. Just, just suffer with bad calls. We've had bad calls forever. It's okay. Bad calls happen, um, you know, where it's not the end of the world. Um, but I, I would wonder in the future, which we are in right now, if we could get, um, I mean, I, I understand like they want to keep things low tech to a certain extent, but I don't understand why they can't. I mean, one is like having like the little, you know, the arm, you know, little, you know, iPad or, you know, mini iPad on the guy's arm where he can just kind of look down and be like, Oh, I really missed that one just yeah. like on the field. Yeah. And then it either happens before the next play starts or it doesn't. And right. Then... I would, they, they, this is the idea of, uh, I think it's called instant replay review. And there is a sport where officials do this. And I can't remember which one, not one of the major four, but they essentially have Boy. something. They look at a replay on the field, be like, oh, I got that wrong. And then they immediately fix it. Yeah, it had like, like if it takes a minute and a half to figure it out, then it's taking too long. Just stay with what's on the field. The other it, thing I would say is it should also be, I would limit it to i would say you get like one coach's challenge for the whole game and then as long as we're in the era of like instant win percentage you should anything that has a win percentage shift of like more than like five or ten percent is like automatically reviewed yeah i think because there, to... there aren't that many of those plays and obviously like it would limit like coaches challenging a, a second and two run that gets one yard versus two yards when they shouldn't even be challenging it to begin with. And it takes five minutes to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like frequently those plays don't actually mean as much as the coaches think they do and give the coach one challenge for one of those, but that's it. Like, right. It's like when you're, it's when you're watching a baseball game and there's a stolen base challenge is either should have been a caught stealing or should have been a stolen base. And it's taking the umpires like five minutes or more to review it. And I'm thinking, then you need to stick with the call on the field. That's the whole point is you can't, if it's that close that you can't tell and you have to look at for five minutes and you still can't tell why are you changing it? And that's a, you know, foot, football. I have the only time I have sympathy for when it goes on for a while is like, oops, we got it wrong. We need to fix it. And they need to check spot of the ball, you know, time on the clock, things like that. But there's just so much delay that ruins the spontaneity of the game. And yeah, I think they're, I don't mind things that, 
get it, the importance of getting things right is certainly of utmost importance, but is it is it at the expense of making a game watchable or not too? You know, and that mm-hmm. is something that has to be, I don't have the answer. I just think it's something that has to be judged because you, you know, there's, there's a point, you know, and this is a whole other discussion for the off season, but I always think we have all this technology that allows us to criticize the officials. Why not technology to make it easier, like a ball that could be automatically spotted without people running around with chains or, you know, trying to determine in a pile of 45 men where the knee went down, when where the ball was when the knee went down and all that. But we, yeah. we have technology to, you know, criticize, but not to fix. Or if there's like all the defensive linemen who play the Patriots, they have to play with like red paint on their gloves. So anytime they touch Tom Brady, we can just call the 15 yard flag there and be done with it. We don't have to debate right. about whether or not the guy accidentally knocked into him or not. It's an automatic foul. Yeah. Yep. Well, it would just, you know, I mean, what a boon for the paint industry. Let's <laughs> a big, a big upswing in the cell of red paint. That's the game I watched. That was the, that was the right. And, one I got and that's, that's the game we'll, we'll get to now. Our wrap up of the uh, Ram saints is saints. We are sorry you got screwed and now go Rams. So on to the other game, which is the Pats and chiefs. This was another one that, the, the Chiefs, and you know what, I, I'm not going to open with all of my thoughts on this. Why don't we go to Scott first on this one. Your thoughts on the uh, the AFC Championship game. This one was, uh, this one was tough to watch, uh, <laughs> mostly because my kids were getting up about every five minutes while we were down at our in-laws watching for most of the third and fourth quarter. So it was literally hard for me to watch the game because I was going back and forth. Um, all I could see was, you know, challenges taking way too long and i saw the little game cast thing and it was like um you know like um pu- you know punt uh muffed it was like a punt and then it was just like okay now what and then it was like muffed recovered by edelman uh, recovered by kansas city i'm like great and then literally five minutes of nothing and then and then and then replay challenge and then it was like punt recovered by edelman confirmed i'm like great and then they're like punt recovered by Edelman replay reverse. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. No, How could that be a thing that does anything. <laughs> so it was a long, frustrating game for me for a variety of reasons. And then I did watch the the last like five or 10 minutes of overtime in the fourth quarter. I, I, I get incredibly um, frustrated. I mean, obviously like Romo was the, was obviously the only one who knew what the, the Pats were <laughs> running other than everyone who'd ever watched a Pats game. And it was literally like, but that's the thing. Like, it was a good article I think I read on on Deadspin the day after, and it was like, it doesn't matter if everyone knows what you're doing. If you don't have the personnel to stop it, they're just going to keep doing it. And that's what it was. It's like Kansas City, like Belichick and McDaniel's, they are better at this than everybody else. Like, that's yep. the problem. Like, they know how to get those matchups, and McDaniel's is as good as anybody. And the way that they're consistently able to just the Kansas City linebackers are terrible. We're just going to keep attacking them and attacking them and attacking them until they can't get any, until they score or something weird happens. And unfortunately for the Chiefs, nothing weird happened other than like bad stuff to them, whether it was the stupid D Ford offsides call or that ridiculous roughing the passer on Brady, which is just so frustrating. And somebody made the good point, I forget who it was, that saying like, look, the NFL at this point, they hate the Patriots too. There's there's no fix in for the Patriots because the NFL wants them to win. Like obviously Goodell hates them. Everybody, all the other owners hate them. The whole the entire fucking country hates them. Everybody except outside of New England and Michigan, evidently. Um, so it's not like 
there's some conspiracy. It's just for whatever reason, Brady has this ability to, you know, this is the pass inter- this is the roughing the passer call that you're looking for, and the the refs feel like they have to call it. And it's uh, incredibly frustrating. I'm sure it'll happen in the Super Bowl, and it'll be at a crucial point, and I'll get mad about it then. And <laughs> nothing will change because, again, our lives are our lives are run by a six foot four, you know, stupid quarterback from New England. Uh, a good opportunity to shout out the fact that the Paul and I had a decent disagreement about the yep. overtime rules. Um, I mean, it's just. Uh, Un- unconscionable to me that a, a, a team like the Chiefs didn't even get a chance with the football. I understand that they had the opportunity to play defense, but it, they they lost on a you know both teams gave up the exact same number of points. So it's hard for me to say that any either one of them deserves the advantage of winning without the other team getting a chance. Um, but I aside from that, I'd like to shout out once again uh, to all the people in Bill's Twitter who cling to their, their little hope that we don't really know if Pat Mahomes would be any good in a Bill's uniform. Um, he's amazing. He's a really good quarterback. He's going to be a really good quarterback for a long time. I was certain that there was a decent chance that the next chapter of quarterback regret was going to begin on Sunday because the chiefs were going to win and it was going to, we're going to have to watch this new Tom Brady, you know, not, be on our team and um so I, but he was great and they did a really good job they they really did go toe to toe uh the patriots got a couple of good calls despite the fact that nobody believes in them from what i've heard um kansas city looks set for a little while um and the patriots are the patriots and he's not going to retire whether he wins or doesn't it doesn't matter that he's throwing the ball less it doesn't matter that he's throwing the ball less efficiently they're just a good offense and they know how to score and, and they they can't people can't get out of their own way when they're playing them. So uh bring it on. Go just if they if they win this week, does it even matter? If they if they're six times or seven times, what will we be six times Super Bowl champions? Is that really gonna make a functional difference in my life about Patriots fans lording stuff over me? I guess it might make sense if you're like a Pittsburgh fan and you're like the current six time champion holder uh you know which doesn't it already doesn't matter because this this team is better than any Steelers team that ever happened uh so you know whatever you're in the presence of greatness just fucking let us eat our shit and move on now and on that high note well no I you know there's some good good meat discussed in that that the the part of the and things that both Frank and and Scott said uh, I think one thing uh, was the one thing I really wanted to pinpoint. We'll get to the overtime rules in a second because that's worth discussing. The Mahomes debate. Yes, Mahomes would definitely be good anywhere. You know, he could play for the, you know, Siberian national team, which I know is not a team, and still manage to, to, to pass very well in that sort of environment. I am okay with the Bills not picking Mahomes, provided two big things happen. One, uh, Trey White continues the level of play he's shown and signs his next contract with the Bills. And two, Josh Allen does become the franchise quarterback and is competitive with Mahomes through the next 10 to 15 seasons. The way, if those conditions are met, I am totally fine with the Bills passing on Mahomes. But if not, yeah, we're going to eat a lot of regret. And also it will be funny because the 20 
six or excuse me, the 2017 quarterback draft class was kind of looked at as meh, and the 2018 draft class looked at as great. And yet, who was in the Pro Bowl? It was Mahomes and Trubisky and Watson were all playing in the in the Pro Bowl. Well, every rookie, you know, struggled to some degree. Mayfield played the best of the the group. I don't think that's debatable overall, but but that was really something. On the on the game itself, boy, Scott brought up the the offsides call. And I was thinking, boy, I wish, you know, there's no fixing for the, for the Pats, as Scott rightly points out. But I was kind of thinking like, man, would anyone have noticed if they didn't throw the flag on that offside <laughs> or lined up in the neutral zone penalty that didn't have any real effect on the play at all? Uh, probably not. Some Pats fans would have bitched about, but even most Pats fans would have been like, yeah, it sucks. We didn't get that break, but Brady shouldn't have thrown an interception on that play. Like he threw an interception on that play. That was the end of the game. We wouldn't yeah. even be having the overtime discussion at all about this. If that wouldn't happened. it have just been that they would have the, they would have cool, ruled that that guy fumbled afterwards and then it went out of bounds or yeah. you know, it was somehow incomplete? I, it, that, I feel like that's just how it would have worked. Out. That's true, because it wasn't like I only saw the replay once when it happened, but it wasn't necessarily like it was a super clean, easy interception. Like it could have been ruled, you know, incomplete yeah. or, or or whatever. But yeah, that was one thing that that drove me nuts. I do want to shout out to the Chiefs. So like they were down at the half and some writer for the, you know, Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, who I think has some of the worst hot takes out there was talking about, yeah, I could see how this is going. This is so predictable. Is anyone doubting this result? And I'm thinking, if you watch it, the Chiefs can come back at a moment's notice. And they did. And they took a lead in the fourth quarter in New England in the, or no, excuse me, they were at home. They took the lead in the fourth quarter in the playoffs against a very, very good New England team. And so, you know, kudos to the, the Chiefs. They they did not disappoint. They did not really let us down in terms of how they played overall. As Scott noted, that New England just exploits, you know, the, the weak linebackers, the Reggie Ragland core that the Kansas City Chiefs have. They exploit that. They have better personnel that when they lined up a certain way and they had whoever it was on Gronkowski, they could have been like, yeah, uh, just you over there. We're going to throw the ball to Gronkowski, who you're covering, and you're just going to have to deal with that. Okay. And that's, that's, they couldn't do anything. They're just, you know, they're, they were too good talent wise. So a disappointing result for the game for, for sure. I am hopeful that maybe, you know, the Mahomeses and so forth will make it difficult for the Brady's, uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots to advance in the future. The overtime debate is a good one, and I'll I'll throw out my view out there because I think it's the minority view. I think it's one that most people don't agree with. But I look at what we're talking about with the coin toss is really a it's it's the bit of chance you have to throw in any tiebreaker scenario at at all. Um, I'm of always been of the mind that you have you have 60 minutes to beat a team. And then you have another chance to beat that team in overtime, provided you don't give up a touchdown in the opening series, even if you lose a coin toss. And if you can't do these things, I can't really feel bad for you being unable to do it. Now, Frank's argument is a, is a just one, and that's you know equity. You know each team should have that chance to do it. We used to live in a, a world what 10 to 12 years ago where you lose that coin flip. And you give up a field goal from 60 right. yards and you've lost. So this is definitely a fair system in that. My concern with the college system, if they were to go that route, is it doesn't feel like football to me. It's like I don't mind the shootout in the NHL. It's exciting. The fans enjoy it. But if they use the shootout in the playoffs to decide games, that would make me you know, live in. I think the college system, the thing that I disappoint is you essentially 
disappoints me is you essentially take special teams and non-red zone defense out of the equation. So I don't like that. I think the system that uh, Frank and others would propose as well, each team should get one possession. And my, and again, recognize I'm in the minority here. My issue with that is I feel you're saying to the defense, like, yeah, you know, you can give a touchdown here and you're not really punished for it because your offense is now going to get a chance to match that. And defense doesn't really, you know, it's not what people are paying to see. We're paying to see the offense. I think, yeah. And again, now that I'm done with my argument and now it can be just destroyed into the ground by you gentlemen. No, I, I just want to offer my o- overtime proposal. <laughs> you put both offenses and both defenses on the field at the same time. <laughs> you, you start on the, on the 40 yards to go to the end zone. Okay. So there's a, there's a 20 yard gap between where both teams are playing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if the ball goes back behind the fifty, you you're out. You're you you stop. You you don't. Right, you are no longer allowed to progress the ball. Right. You, you cannot lose more than than the, those ten yards. Yes. Um. And at both times, both teams are trying to score, and the team that scores more points on the drive wins. So you can kick a field goal and hope your defense is st- on the other end of the field stopping them, or you can go for a touchdown or go for two. And in the event that both teams score an equal amount of points. Whoever scored the points first wins. Hmm. This is setting up for a Royal Rumble, Rumble level controversy, though, if those touchdowns are scored simultaneously. Like, yeah, who's toe then then you can really look and see who's toe tap first, and if it comes down to it, do it again. <laughs> In the incredibly rare circumstance that we can't decide, do it again. And, and and we'll go from there. So do you have the backup crew of referees come out at that point? Well, I mean, at, at <laughs> this point, they're they're not much better than fans, so it shouldn't be hard to get a couple extra people out there. <laughs> Just pull some people from the fans, have them do it. Well, I mean, they're um, not even paying these guys full time, so like... Uh, exactly. What's the difference? Um, I like it. Yeah. I think it would be exciting. I feel like you'd have a better chance of success if you... If you did it like a baseball inning, like one one side gets one one chance, like you know one team goes first, or like a hockey shootout, like right. yep. offense goes and the other offense goes and the other offense goes, that way you could really build the tension. And then obviously, if somebody scores, then whoever you know wins, whoever lost the to- won the toss, they've got the chance to 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 match at that point to run the hail mary play or whatever to get him in the end zone. I think that'd be interesting. I think that's a kind of a little variation on the college one. I, I like that. Um, I am a more of a traditionalist. I never understood why a game that is functionally about, um, you know, everything is defined in it in periods of time, why it's this arbitrary idea that possession matters in terms of sudden death and that we needed to go to sudden death at all and that that's how we should settle it. To me, it's just as simple as playing another 10-minute period uh, or another 15-minute quarter and that's that's what we do. And then if it's tied at the end of that, then we do it again. Like I understand like there's a health issue and a safety issue that comes in at some point, but the, you know, the odds of that happening are pretty minimal that you would kind of get through that. I mean, it has happened enough that it would be a little concerning, but ultimately like, I mean, we've had four or five ties in the last four or five seasons. The odds of it happening in the playoffs are even smaller. And then the odds that you get through a quarter where it's still like that is even smaller. So I don't know. And you could do the college thing where you have to go for two in overtime too. That'd yeah. be easy to do. That I that I'd be okay with more so that like if you're gonna change it, 
up any aspect, that would be more uh, okay to me because you're not really changing the way the game itself is played. You're just forcing a certain type of decision on a team in a situation, which I'm fine with. So yeah, I think we are we are 32 minutes into this podcast, and we have covered four of the 70 bullets on the agenda. So we're gonna we're gonna speed things along here, which is what happens when when you know specifically when I lead. Scott keeps it under control. I I ramble. Frank always. Well, I don't lead. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna we're gonna just jump all over the agenda here, and we're gonna go to we haven't talked about the bills hardly at all this podcast. So I think now is a good time to go into recent news and we've got six very small items to cover but ones we should at least mention and go over in in passing uh the bad news is the 2018 special teams rankings came out the big dallas morning news rankings that have been the standard for uh 20 some years the bills in 2017 were number seven overall in terms of their special teams productivity and efficiency in 2018 uh, they had a slight drop from number seven to number 31 ahead of only the uh, fabled Green Bay Packers who like to fumble on every kickoff, which is something the Bills would manage to uh, avoid doing, save one muffed Isaiah McKenzie punt. Uh, and oh yeah, they had the Chargers game, which I forgot because I was in the Hague at the time. Uh, the good news on the special teams front is that Danny Crossman is now going to be the coach of the Dolphins special teams. So there's there's the balance uh, that's happening there. So I don't know, guys, anything surprising on the special teams ranking? It seemed exactly where I expected. I think Hauschka had a good year, but really dipped those last three and a half games due to whether it was uh, injury, new holder, whatever that was. The punters, they had put two punters on IR. That's never a good sign. And, you know, I think their return coverage was terrible. So I guess 31 is about where I expected them to be. Yeah, the special teams are pretty awful this year. And um, there really wasn't, I mean, some of it was injuries with Borges getting hurt. And then obviously Schmidt, I think, to be yeah, Schmidt kept, Yeah, Schmidt kept for, getting. For and, and we're all forgetting that the guy they brought on to replace Schmidt, Corey Carter, the other Corey, the biggest Corey debate since uh, Heyman Feldman is going to be Borges and Carter in the Bills punting next year. He punted a routine punt in the preseason game and tore his ACL. And that's why Colton Schmidt initially won the battle. So right. that's, a, we, that's a lot to deal with. And then we went to Dar by the end of that because Schmidt had also failed. Mm -hmm. uh, so injuries had something to do with that. I think this also speaks to not just Crossman, though, because obviously the roster building is on Bean. Mm -hmm. And this was, this was the famous, well, we need guys who can play good on special teams. And obviously right. we did not have enough guys who played well on special teams. Or if, if, we I, did, they, if they did, they were not coached effectively. So we'll right. find and out. Then you had, let's, and then the three players I want to bring up on that, Taiwan Jones, their special teams captain, IR after week five. Lorenzo Alexander, once injuries hit, we're taking you off special teams in a lot of positions so you can play defense. And then Andre Holmes, cut. Your three best special teams guys were not on special teams uh, after a certain amount of time. Yeah. So, it, yeah, no, I mean, I think hopefully the new special teams coach will find a way to improve things in general. But obviously it's bigger than just, you know, one coach, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, they were terrible. 31st seems eminently reasonable to rank them at that. So, um, and 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 the Dolphins are are tanking. So good for them. They got the right coach for the job. Yep. And they have a lot of dead money, the Dolphins, too. So they're probably gonna have this problem that the Bills had this year with their special teams, which is one, Danny Crossman is your special teams coach, and two, you have so much dead money on your cap that you have no depth with which to throw decent players to cover kicks and so forth. So on the special teams topic, the Bills did, I don't want to say bolster their special teams. Obviously, they're very happy with the performance of long snapper 
Reed Ferguson, they initially tendered his exclusive rights free agency deal, then announced in the last week that they have signed him to a three-year contract. In my view, uh, if this is the only time we mention Reed Ferguson over the next decade, then 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 he's done his job. Then this was a good signing. Unless he's a uh, this day in Bill's headlines answer. Right. Right. I, this would be the only time I'd like to mention him, though, because it means we have no bad snaps to discuss and that mm-hmm. he's doing his job and staying anonymous, which is how I knew of him this year, because I could never remember his full name for most of the year. I would call him like, you know, Joe Ferguson uh, accidentally or Reed Fergus. I could never quite get it right. So that that's how I think he did a good job. So guessing not much controversy on this signing with you guys. Nope. Nope. All right. Onward we go. Uh, report came out just today that the bills are carrying over $8.7 million in cap space from 2018. Uh, The NFLPA reported that the bills were the only team not to carry over 100% of their uh, available cap space from the previous year, to which uh, Brandon Bean went out of his way to come out of the woodworks and say, you know, BS. We, we, that was 100% of our available space was 8.7 million. We're going to, we've rolled it all over to the next cap. So this will give the bills approximately, I want to say it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $88 million to spend. So an even better cap situation than we hoped for. Uh, only question I have on this, any influence on your decision whether or not to keep a guys like uh, McCoy and Clay because this buys you $8 million or no bearing at all on that sort of decision for you guys since they already had so much cap space? Um, for me, it's it's not really about I guess it's about cap space. Sure. It's always some, some value, but I think that they were already under enough that they, I don't think it's going to change their, I don't think it's going to change their decisions on McCoy and, 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 uh, the other guy. Clay. That's all right. Yeah. He's clay is forgettable when your brain is functioning properly. So when it's not, it's totally understandable. The one thing I wanted to bring up to clay, just because this is the annoyance that, that hit me when I was doing some random, research this week is if the bills hadn't restructured his contract three years ago to turn his roster bonus into a signing bonus and push his cap number down the road, uh, the dead money would be 2 million this year instead of four and a half million. So thank you, Doug Whaley for your total inability to manage a cap. Um, yes, I have nothing further to add other than I agree. It will not significantly impact how they do the two, two signings this year. I think that's more, I think it's, it's, when you're thinking about multi years and, and long term contracts, you know, nine million in one year is usually not a tremendous amount. So, mm-hmm. all right. So, uh, this is probably the biggest news of the recent news, and it's been somewhat swept under the, I shouldn't say swept under the rug, but not noted very much. Bills quarterback coach David Culley has been hired away by the Baltimore Ravens to be their assistant heads coach, receivers, and passing coordinator. Hmm. This is, uh, to me, it's a big enough deal because this is a guy you have been depending on to kind of mold Josh Allen, to give him a consistent message, one that hopefully is one that uh, jives with the ones he's getting from Jordan Palmer. And now you're taking you're going to take a third guy, a third quarterback uh, coach, if you will, counting Palmer as his unofficial mentor and guide. And you're putting yet another voice in his ear. Um, I think this is a – I don't know if it's a big loss because I don't know how much the Bills were married to him. But I think this could have an impact next season. Uh, Frank, your thoughts on losing a quarterback coach and Josh Allen having to listen to someone else next year? Um, it better not affect him. I think that it. I think that what I'm thinking is that the the 
the play of Allen needs to progress on on the level of mechanics. And so he should be working on that with Palmer and the like. And I think that the offense is going to stay the same, which is huge. I'd be much more concerned if Brian Dable was leaving. Um, something like that. Right. It's not to say that there's not so, something there, but I, all, all of what he does, I would imagine, is either getting filtered down to from Dable or filtered up from Palmer. And so he's sort of like the middle management of quarterbacks, I think. And so we should be able to find another, you know, assistant regional manager to, to, you know, step in while Michael's, you know, at the, at the, the Schenectady branch. Ah, all Damn. those references. Um, I think, uh, I am concerned. I mean, yes, I think it would be great if there, we didn't miss a beat because, you know, the rest of the QB room, as, as they're fond of saying, has not changed much. And that not only is, is Palmer and, and Dable still around, but obviously the, um, you know, uh, presumably Anderson and Barkley will be sticking around as well. But it is, um, you know, the, I would say this, the, the biggest thing, I don't want to say, one of the important things in educating anyone or teaching anyone is time is one-on-one -on -one kind of devoted time. There is really no substitute for having a guy consistently, like, it's the difference between a tutor and, uh, you know, a, a discussion group. You know, a discussion group, you're kind of having to engage yourself. You're, you're learning along with everyone else, yes, but you're not, it's not tailored to you. If you're ahead or behind, it's, diff it's easy for you to kind of either get lost or, or get bored. Um, it's not, they're not going to know your strengths and weaknesses as well. And so this is the guy to a certain extent who is devoting all of his time to fixing Josh Allen. And I want to say all of his time, 75% of his time, presumably, you know, obviously the backups right. need a little work too, but I think I am concerned that even if Palmer is there as well, that's now putting more on him. He's got to do. He's got to do more. There's less. I you. I don't want to say you want too many guys giving him direction, but it's at the same time like there's really no shortage of value that having someone personally devoted to Allen's, you know, development is, and now changing. If they're going to bring in somebody else to do this job, then we're going to have the, we're going to have a transition. We're going to have a different learning time build up. You know, they're going to have to, he's going to have to know what Alan's good at. He's going to have to look at the tape. He's going to have to come up with his own solutions. Those might be slightly different than what Cully was thinking. So now we're going to get into another kind of, you know, square peg round hole situation. So I don't think it's great. I, I again, there are some, um, I guess you would say restraints in place that will hopefully provide enough of a safety net for Alan but I don't think it's great, certainly. But, I mean, isn't that predicated on the idea that he was doing a good job, and how do we know that he was? I mean, I would say that that is predicated on the idea that at least he had somebody, and yeah. you either have nobody or a new guy who is no guarantee that that guy will be any better or worse. Sure. And obviously, if he was hired away... On some level, that speaks to someone thought he was good enough to do that. Well, so it's counterpoint. Somebody just hired Danny Crossman and, and, <laughs> and Rob Ryan. So I think it's more that like for they're, they're out of ideas I, in the NFL. For I think the NFL hires the same 15 guys over and over and over. And like, fair enough. 
<laughs> but anyway, continue. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's it's a fair point. I would say, um, I would say yes. The the concern is is that they're just going to bring in some other guy who might be good or bad and have the same problem. And frankly, if Allen is educated enough as a quarterback, at some point when you've been with a guy long enough, you will also understand what this guy's limitations are. If he if he's not helping you develop in some way, he will kind of reach the point at which he needs to find a new master. And then at that point, sure, like then maybe David Kelly gets shown the door and he he's like, I want a guy who's better at you know, five-step drops or play action or whatever it is. And then the Bills can go out and, and find someone who fits that role a little bit better. But I don't think it's an ideal situation to have the guy who is your quarterback coach hired away. Like, again, like, was it, I hope it wasn't, a, I hope it was just um, a responsibilities thing because obviously Dable's shown himself to be pretty good. And I don't think we could have given him much, Cully, much more responsibility. I hope it wasn't a money thing. That would be my biggest concern because, like, really, the coaches aren't on a salary cap. So there's no reason to lose a coach for money. Right. Yep. I would, I would, I would agree. I have the, the mild concern about the situation, but I do think Dable's probably a bigger presence to Josh Allen's ear. And to Frank's point, he's been working one-on-one -on -one with Jordan Palmer for years. So that's the message he's going to take in. And there were also whisperings and take them for all you will, that David Culley wasn't really a, a Sean McDermott guy, that he was fine, but he wasn't enamored with him. So maybe they were looking to move on anyway. And, and I, I don't think it's a money thing either. I think it's a, I think it's a prestige thing because he's hired to take a job as assistant head coach and passing coordinator with a, you know, highly regarded playoff team that, uh, is you know allegedly on the the upswing after a few down seasons in a row and but still has some recent Super Bowls uh, to talk about so well time will tell time will hopefully make it uh like hey remember when we talked for five minutes about a quarterback situation a quarterback coach situation that end up being nothing uh, let's hope that's what it ends up being um, last two minor news items only want to mention them because they were they were new things to learn for us uh, Lashawn McCoy on it in an interview. Uh, finally revealed why he was benched for the first player of the New England game in week 16 uh, because he was late for the team bus and he said he agrees with the decision and you know felt like you know McDermott was fully in the the right to in fact uh, sit him on the bench for that play because he's a team captain and more should be expected uh, any any thoughts on that I think that I think that that's appropriate I don't know why McCoy feels like now it's okay to bring that up. I mean, it seems <laughs> like at the time it was kind of like a hush hush thing, but I feel like he shouldn't have like it. I don't know. Like, I don't know what the team policy is on like disciplinary things and what you talk about and what you don't. Right. Cause I, he got in trouble for his tweet during the national championship game. He said, man, just get one of these Bama linemen. And then Brandon yeah. Dean had to come out and say like, yeah, that's not really our style to say things like that. So. Yeah, and and I think it's probably not a situation where, like, oh, McCoy can't talk about the fact that he's safe for the bus, and that's the punishment. Like, that's gonna somehow ruin discipline or something. I think it's more like if McCoy talks about the times that he didn't get, he didn't, he got started, where he got benched because he missed the bus. When someone in the future comes out and doesn't say why they were benched, then you will by definition kind of assume well if mccoy can talk about being benched because he missed the bus presumably what this other guy did was more damaging and or dangerous and or provocative than yeah and missing the bus so i'd imagine that's what they're going for um but i would i don't know but that seems still kind of dumb this seems like a mcdermott kind of like by all means like bench the guy for being late to the 
to the bus, like, and you got to hold the stars accountable. I get that, but like, you don't have to be all hush hush about it. Like, it shouldn't. And clearly, yeah. they're not good at it anyway, because clearly McCoy can talk about it now. So you know why? Because it is a stupid reason to bench somebody. I honestly, it's like, Kira, let's it, about us before we go. I like the benching. Like, they sat him for the first play of the game. It's not like right. they put yeah. him on the bench for an entire quarter. Yeah, and I think that the, I think there's an embarrassment. You know what? I think they want to pretend like it all stays in, and you're not. Um, you're not shaming a player like it's all being handled, quote unquote, in house. And I think that sometimes when people do stuff like that, it's because they know how they're acting is stupid and kind of shameful. Um, like, you know, it, it's a hard thing to explain to the outside world why you're not to, to, to sort of pretend like you're balancing, putting your best foot forward, but also, you know, reinforcing uh i don't want to call it draconian it's not draconian but it's it's a bit byzantine it's it's a it's a little you know like really like he okay he missed the bus did he still get to the stadium on time then like let it go uh you know did he hold anybody up then okay don't worry find him you know hold the hold the kangaroo court and and you know find him 10 grand have the players find him 10 grand and then it goes to charity that's better than benching him and I, I take Scott's point. I think that's what the worry would be about, about, you know, the future um, players. So. Yeah. But I think also McCoy is McCoy and he's a different kind of player. So I think the next time somebody's benched, if they don't say anything, I, I, I think McCoy is a personality separate from many. And so you won't really use him as a yardstick for how other people do or don't react to things. But I, I, I would imagine that that's maybe some of what the concern might be. I don't know. Interesting. Lots of views we can take on this. I would, I would probably side a little more with with Scott. I would think on on this one. I think it was the right point of disciplinary action. But I will side with with Frank on the fact that McCoy is he's kind of a special consideration. A lot of people might say, oh, there's a double standard. LeSean can do this, but others can't. But I do think LeSean, by his actions on the field, his work ethic, and apparently the type of locker room presence he is, is going to get some you know, treatment for having kind of a different personality, because as far as we know, litigation pending, his different personality is not, in fact, uh, harmed other people in, in any way or harmed his teammates. But we'll, uh, we'll let the court process play out before we go into that more. Um, last bit, and maybe you guys had heard this. I had not until I read a random article uh, this week about how one of the difficulties of the Bills recruiting free agents is the destination, not that Buffalo is a bad place, but sometimes players' wives don't want to come here and the New York State taxes are just atrocious. So you have to pay 8.85% more than you would if you signed with the Dolphins or a Florida team that has no state sales tax. But Mike Shanahan wanted to become the Bills coach and said he would have become the Bills coach, but his wife did not want to come uh, to town. So... I don't know what to think about this. Am I relieved that Shanahan didn't come to town after what happened in Washington, here in Washington? Eh, a little bit at the same time. Would he have done better than, I think, I ended hiring Gailey at that point? Eh, you never know. Yeah. So I had a good offense. I, I, he did. Chan was know. a good offensive coach. No one should debate that. I mean, he got the most out of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Stevie Johnson had career years under his tutelage. As did CJ Spiller. You'd still have, you'd still have, you know, Mr. Wilson owning the team. So you wouldn't have Dan Snyder level antics, but right. you, you wouldn't necessarily have gotten the best out of ownership at that time either. He wasn't really a great active owner at that point. I felt like he was sort of cheap. Right. Um, but 
to be fair, he was like dying at the time. You know, as fears was like. Oh, yeah, no, I'm. I didn't mean that as like a criticism. Um, you know, then I, I just was saying at the time you weren't getting, you know, and uh, they weren't. You might have had Tom Donahoe as as the GM still, or you know, like not Donahoe, but like you might have still had Buddy Nix as GM. So. Mm-hmm. What the hell's the point of having, you know, wasting Mike Shanahan's time? Um, but yeah, that's a little disappointing. It's certainly, it's certainly an old wives, huh, funny pun. It's a wives uh, about, about Buffalo being, you know, football Siberia. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's disappointing, but I think that it's nothing new. I, I, I don't have much else to say. I've, I've rambled. I'm sorry. Someone help. Where people need to read Paul's wife's blog. Yes. Her, her older one. Older, older yep. Good old I choose Buffalo. So That's it's still, cool. I don't know if she uses that tag anymore. Since we left Buffalo, you know, we can't really, you know, she couldn't really use that on her blog anymore. That's true. They should, people should read it for a solid two or three years there and then stop. Right. And then, and then just move to DC. Go to, go to, <laughs> go to her site, go to the archives from between right around, you know, mid to late 2012 and the decision was made up until, you know, September 2017-ish. And you learn all about how great Buffalo is, which by the way, we did did love Buffalo. We still do. Uh, but hey, I'm not going to tell everyone about my personal decisions on the air. All right. Onward with, with the next point of the agenda. I said we would get to the big, uh, you know, possible QB preview we thought of if we were at about 30 some minutes at this point. We are at 54. Two minutes. So I think uh, I'm just going to go right to this day in Bill's headlines. If anyone has any objections to that. Oh, go for it. That'd be great. All right. So onward we go. So these are actually headlines for uh, yesterday, our initial scheduled pod day. So these are from, in fact, January 30th. So we're going to go, we're going to throw one out of chronological order here because I just felt like this is the one that we should mention first. 1997, Bill's blank set to retire. Blank, who since last week has been unable to reach agreement with Bills on a, the Bills on a new contract deal, will retire after 11 years with Buffalo. He and the Bills owner, Ralph Wilson, also have been reportedly working on a compensation deal for the 36-year-old to send him into retirement. Uh, wait, what year was this? 1997. 1997. So we're going back 22 years. Um, Think of a big deal retirement. You said player? Yeah, player. 1997. Bill's blank set to retire. Was it Jim? It was Jim. Jim Kelly. Kelly, 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 yeah. The, the, the choice, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I just, I'm so used to starting in 2017. You, yeah. you I know. I threw it on, and I, I debated, play, I was worried. Like it would get buried. I felt it was a big deal. I felt I should bring it first. The rest of these are reverse chronological as usual. So throw that out of your mind and let's start in 2018 now. So here we go. More recent. All right. 2018 Buffalo Bills dismiss defensive backs coach blank. Now to give a hint, since we probably don't remember the names of defensive back coaches very well. Uh, he was a Chargers all pro defensive back first team 1989, as well as a second team or three straight years. Uh, he played for them from 82 to 93, and his son uh, was a star defensive back for the Bills. Son was a two-time second-team All-Pro and three-time Pro Bowler for Buffalo. Hmm. 
coaches are tough, so I try and give absurd amounts of hints with coaches. Steve, Steve Ubody. <laughs> no, is it? Um, is it? That's great. Um, is it Jairus Bird's dad? And I can't think of his name. Yes, we oh, will just nice. call him Jairus Bird's dad. Gilbert, the great. Gilbert, uh, yeah. great. Thank you. San Diego Charger. Frank is on a mild amount of fire. We will not say he's on fire. He's I'm, least... I'm, I'm curs- currently hallucinating from the the, the enforced fasting. <laughs> This one, this one kind of goes to uh, an earlier discussion we had about long snappers. Uh, long snapper blank signs three-year extension with Bills. He ended up spending. This is in 2012. He ended up spending eight years with a team. He is now with Tampa Bay. Can we John, actually remember the guy before John Dorenbos? Oh, Dorenbos. No, but I have a great story about him for next pod. Um, wait too long for this pod. It was. Uh, Garrison Sanborn. Garrison yeah. Sanborn, Frank. Man, this is gr- I've <laughs> I've cleaned out all the bad answers. <laughs> all right, let's see if Frank can keep it up. If Scott can jump in the game, 2010 Bills hire blank for second stint as special teams coach. Oh, I think I think you can get this one, Danny Crossman. No, the yeah. other one. <laughs> <laughs> The Music Other, City uh, it was the Music City Miracle. Uh, he got fired after the Music City Miracle and uh, was brought back in yes. 2010. Yes. Um, He's now dead. Uh, oh, no, it's not who I'm thinking of then. Never mind. Uh, I was going to say Bobby April. Nope, but he's a good guess because he had two stints as Bill Special Teams yeah. as well. <laughs> Again, there's only four guys who can be Special Teams coach of the league. <laughs> they're all coaching multiple teams at once it's a very complex arrangement um, Bill's special teams coach from 1987 uh, through 1999 and then from 2010 through 2012 yes and he was yelling at everyone to stay in their lanes on the Music City Miracle and they didn't the mistake the Music City yep. mistake yep uh, fudge was the special teams coach for the Panthers at the time of his death in December of 2016. You probably would have talked about this. Um, I don't, I don't have it. All right. The answer is Bruce DeHaven. Yeah. DeHaven. Yes. Yes. Sorry, Bruce. That's all right, Bruce. Rest in peace, Bruce. All right. 2005 blank and bills likely to part ways soon. Blank is scheduled to make $3.3 million in base salary next season and is due a $1.05 million roster bonus. His total cap charge would be $6.5 million. If the Bills release him, he would only count $4.3 million against the cap. Blah, blah, blah. Bonus money, $6.5 million. The key to answering this question is think of the, the timing. So this would have been January of 2005. Uh, Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe, Scott, is on the board. Yes, there we go. All right. 2002, Blank says no to Giants. Uh, Speaking from his home in Texas, he said, it just didn't fit good. I'm a New Yorker, but I'm really a Buffalo New Yorker. As the article notes, he served some role on the Bills staff from 1995 to 2000. Says wherever I'd go, I'd like to pick it. There's nothing wrong with New York people, certainly, but it's crowded up there. I can give a hint that your guys will get this immediately on, which I will do because there is silence. Yeah. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna be busy on Sunday. Bill Belichick. 
my to my knowledge not on the bill staff from 95 to 2000 <laughs> um wade phillips wade phillips yeah wade. scott is catching up here frank is the the fever is is obviously rushing yeah. all right 1995 and you know thank you to two bills drive for the first three of those headlines four of those headlines but the rest of these were just good old-fashioned research from everything i could possibly find all right 1995 five is not the charm for quarterback blank a career backup he set a dubious record first man to be on the losing end of five straight super bowls he was a reserve with buffalo for its first four appearances the last four years uh, there was a bright spot for him though he finally played in the game he had never made it on the field while with buffalo in the in the super bowls this guy was in five straight Super Bowls, quarterback, didn't play for the Bills in any of the first four, but played in this Super Bowl where his team lost uh, badly. Let's see, I'm trying to think of a hand. So it's a guy behind Kelly and Reich. Richard, Richard Milhouse Nixon. Oh, good old, good old, good old tricky dick. Frank, I think we lost Frank. No, I'm here. Okay, I, I have, you're in deep in thought. I have no answer. All right, it is uh, tricky. Gail Gilbert. I remember yeah. good old Gail Gilbert. Maybe yeah. not. Yeah, apparently right. not. All right, uh, 1993, filling a tall order for Bills wide receiver blank makes up in speed what he lacks in size. Speedy Bills receiver, 1993. Those are to, what to take out of it. Don Beebe? Don Beebe. Yeah. There yeah. we go. All right. These next questions are evenly split. Like I feel, Scott, you can, you know, take, stretch on this one. You know, you might not have a good chance. But I think, I think Frank may have a good chance on this one. We'll see. 1992, Bills dismiss assistant blank. All right. One day after the offensive coordinator, Ted Marshabrota, left to become head coach of the Colts, the Buffaloes lost another assistant today when they dismissed their defensive line coach, Blank. 54 years old, he gained attention during Super Bowl week by making disparaging comments about Washington's uh, offensive line, uh, remarks he meant as a joke. He yeah. said Washington tackle Joe Jacoby was a Neanderthal. He slobbers a lot. He probably kicks dogs in the neighborhood. He also said tackle Jim Lachey has bad breath. Players will fall down without even touching him. Washington coach Joe Gibbs got his hands on some tapes of him before and played them at a team meeting on the night before the game. Oh, what's long, that? long time WGR yeah. sports personality. Yeah, I didn't listen to GR till recently because we uh, had we didn't have it. Um, we had our we had W uh, WJM in Rochester with Bob Matthews and 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 he used to do sports the sports show. So I did not. Oh hell! Let's see. He hosted. Uh, uh, it says up until two thousand nine, he was hosting. He was co-hosting the Bob Matthews show on WHAM in Rochester. Oh, okay. Is this, it's not, well, I mean, there was the time that Fred Smurlist was a. Nope, not Freddie. Yeah. Scott, I didn't mean to rule you out here. If you have a guest, jump Bruce on. Bruce Haven. Oh, Bill's coach. He was a Bill's coach during that time. So, yeah. you know. That's I just looked up the answer and I'm not going to say it because I, I was bothering me. Uh, Chuck Dickerson. Yeah, the, Chuck Dickerson. Yeah. It's the in coach. the book. It's in this book called Sports Talk Radio America, and it's WGR and WNSA Buffalo. There's apparently a chapter in this book called Sports Talk Radio America just about WGR and WNSA in Buffalo. Oh, so, that's, a, 
Yeah, good book. And I, 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 I what this book is. Yeah, it's on Google Books, so I'm I'm like reading it. So, all right, here yeah. is the. Here is the last trivia question that we will have one more thing to review on this day before we conclude. Uh, and I think Scott, depending on how deep your history of college football goes, you might get this. 1987, linebacker blank, named the 1987 NFL Rookie of the Year by the Pro Football Writers of America. My hint is he was a big star at Penn State. Wow. Penn State linebacker from the 80s. Defensive rookie of the year? Defensive rookie of the year. Bills, 1987 to 1992 was his tenure with the Bills. He then went on to play for the Rams of both Los Angeles and St. Louis. He straddled both of those. Three-time All-Pro with Buffalo, uh, as well as a three-time Pro Bowler, and the AP NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, as well as a Pro Football Writers one. And a member of the Buffalo Bills 50th anniversary team. All-American, 1986. I'm not sure I know, so I'll guess. I don't think, I don't think, the only one, the name that's running in my head is Matt Mellon. I don't think that's right. Nope, nope, but good. Not not a bad guess. I'm I'm skipping this question because I got involved in figuring out what this book is, so I will be ready for the next question. All right. This is technically the last question, but there will be an entertaining segment to conclude this. Um, Shane Conlon. Shane Conlon. I have his autograph. I met him at Wegmans. All I right. met him. I, I picked up a pair of socks at a place that he was working at, that he was, you know, the featured bill at, and he signed something for me. So I Matt, also have Shane Conlon's autograph somewhere. Matt Millen was a defensive tackle for the Nitty Lions who played in, the, who was in the 1980 draft. So a little earlier and not the right position. Well, you got, you got the, you got the Penn State part. Penn State, yeah. That's uh, more than I could. You asked me to name five state Penn State players. I, that would be a struggle for me. All right, so also on this day, I uh, have to mention it, 1994, Super Bowl 28, Cowboys 30, Bills 13. Um, this was the game where uh, Thurman Thomas, uh, the Bills had control at the halftime. They were up 30 to 13, or they were up, excuse me, 13 to six. Uh, they got the kickoff to open the second half. They had uh, first down after a couple of plays, uh, ball up near midfield and Thurman Thomas fumbled James Washington ran back for a touchdown. We know the rest. Um, So instead of a question for this game, you guys will be glad to know that I remembered that the day after David Letterman did a top 10 list titled top 10 things. Buffalo bills coach Marv Levy said at at halftime. We did it. We won the super bowl. That's number one. That was number 10, but you remember. I remember some of these. Uh, is that is that what we're doing? Are we? Yeah, are we... Let's, let's do it. Oh yeah, I wasn't even doing that, but you remember this. So you got oh, number okay. ten, which is so, we won. Woo, we're Super Bowl champs. Bowl. Um, I remember it, very clearly I... number eight. Number uh, which one did I remember? Does anybody want more of this fudge? Was That's enough... number one. Hey that... fellows, more fudge. More fudge. Hey fellows, more fudge. Yeah. Um, those might be the only two I remember. All right, I remembered number three, which was my personal favorite. Okay, boys, get out there and start sucking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll run through the rest. Number nine, boy, I'm sleepy. You guys sleepy? <laughs> uh, Such a Dave Letterman. <laughs> yeah, it is. Eight, we've got a long trip home after the game, so I don't want anyone wearing themselves out. Mm. Uh, seven, uh, now get out there and rest on your laurels. <laughs> uh, six, hey, Kelly, leave some champagne for everyone else. <laughs> 
five, uh, what do you mean there's two more quarters? Uh, <laughs> four, let's plan exactly how you're going to dump the Gatorade on me. And lastly, number two, we didn't cover. Uh, wait a minute, if we win, we have to go to Disneyland. So there you go. That was really like three different jokes just repeated nine ways. Yes. Well, Skip. that's uh, right. Hey, they turned it around in less than 24 hours, Scott. You want. <laughs> that was this day in Bill's headlines for January uh, 30th. Uh, we'll, you know, running through the league schedule quickly and then on to the Super Bowl. Uh, February 4th, Monday, players can put on waivers. The 19th through March 5th, players can get the franchise tag. March 13th, the league year begins. Teams got to be under the cap. Free agency starts and teams can make trades. April 15-ish is OTAs. And then the 25th through the 27th of April will be the draft. So we have all that to look forward to. But all of this comes after Sunday. We talked about the championship games. Let's talk about the game. Bills. Oh, my God. I almost said Bills Rams. I almost did it. <laughs> At least I didn't say Bills Washington, like Frank believed at the beginning of this podcast. So, uh, Frank, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on the, the big game? Uh Look, obviously, I'm rooting for the Rams. I want the Rams to win, um, but I, I, they're not gonna, right? I mean, it's all stacked against them: the experience, the coaching, the 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 players, the quarterback, probably. Like, right? Like, Aaron Donald's great. I think I'd be really, but is there any doubt that there's some plan for Aaron Donald? Of course not. Um, you know, do I want Robert Woods to catch a lot of touchdowns? Of course I do, but it's not like they don't know how to play Robert Woods. Yep. I, think the, I think the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl, and and why shouldn't they? Uh, they've been the best team for twenty years, so win another one, uh, and we'll continue our march slog to Tom Brady at forty-five when he says that's when he wants to retire. So, um, and in the meantime, I'm gonna curl up with this sports talk radio in America colon it's context and culture book written in 2012 uh, that has 234 pages and talks about uh, millions of listeners, mostly male who indulge their obsession with sports to the exclusion of virtually everything else available on the radio dial, uh, including a, a, a discussion of WGR um, with, uh, you know, um, some of the names of people you know. Uh, Howard Simon, Art Wander, all Jeremy, Jeremy White, Bulldog, Kevin Sylvester. So, and they're all quoted in here talking about stuff, and they talk about Chuck Dickerson and and all that stuff. And so, and at two hundred thirty-four pages, a manageable read. And I found it on Google Books. I don't know if you can read the whole book, but it looks like you can read quite a bit of it. If you you certainly can read the WGR section, if that's the only part that seems interesting to you. Um, there's also WIP in Dallas and other places too. So I don't know. I might hunt this book down and see what it looks like a stupid little book that no one will read and, and I'll be happy. I read it. Um, okay. All right. Scott, your thoughts on Sunday Super Bowl. I, I mean, you know, it's one of these things where I think I, I forget if I was who I was talking to, but it was basically like if the teams were two other teams with the same players and coaches, like I would probably feel like the Rams would have a chance. Like it just seems like the Patriots don't lose enough. I mean, the other thing that was annoying about that Chiefs game was that the the Patriots have lost just enough to make you think that they are beatable. Right. And then, by the way, reference uh, Buffalo is the turning point game when they felt like we've got to get together and they beat the Bills. Great. 
Good for them. Um, <laughs> way to turn your season around, guys. Oh, well, another <laughs> Super Bowl. <laughs> Glad we could help out. <laughs> Jesus. Um, the, so anyway, the, the point is, is that so you always have that little shred of hope, which is the most painful thing, because obviously, like nine times out of 10, the Patriots do win the game and you're left to just pound sand. Um, I feel like that is what's going to happen. I mean, you can kind of see how the Rams would win. It would be Aaron Donald and, and Dominican Sue just destroy the middle of the Patriots line. And Brady spends half the game on his back. They never get anything going on the pass game. And Goff and, and, and the, you know, has enough time to, to sit back and pick these guys apart. Gurley's playing healthy and can run the ball effectively and they stay balanced and, you know, run up 28, 30 points. And, you know, the Patriots can't get past 24. And, and you can kind of see how it all sort of works together. But then it's not going to because the just the because of Belichick and McDaniel's to a lesser extent they always have the angle figured out they know the the one thing that the 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 the, the Rams don't do well enough and that they've got the advantage and they're going to continue to attack that and make McVeigh and the, his coordinators change what they do best and then and then you they've got you then they're the Patriots are calling the tune you're reacting to them and now they're just going to pick you apart because they know they're they're one step ahead of you and it's super frustrating and um I think it's concerning because even if Belichick does la even if Brady does last another five years Belichick could last for another 30 because he doesn't have to do anything to coach other than you know spend 14 hours a week watching film and sending those checks to hell so um it's frustrating it is i i get the impression that he'll be done at some point but yeah no we'll be, we'll be dead before then that'll be uh when i'm have dementia and i'm the nursing home and i'll ask my uh i'll i'll ask my my children or grandchildren like um so who'd belichick draft this year for the Pats? that's that's going to happen yep. of course this could just be two years from now you never know life comes at you fast um i have to be as always the voice of optimism uh, i'm gonna say for the reasons that you know uh scott brought up in the in the middle of the argument before he went to you know how good belichick is it's his job essentially and and the Patriots seem to win these, that the Patriots have also lost their fair share of these games in, in the past. And the Rams have a very, very good team. They have a, a great offense. I think they have some uh, advantageous matchups, their offense against the Patriots defense. I do not think their defense is going to be a good match for the Patriots. So I think we're going to look at a high scoring game, no matter who ends up winning this one. But, you know, I call me the optimist. I think the Rams are... You know, I, I think they're a poised team. Uh, they don't do a lot of uh, trash talking. They seem to have their stuff together. I'm gonna, I'll pick the Rams. I'll say, you know, 38-35. All right. So that that was uh, that was a Paul-led uh, podcast, which is why I apologize. We're at an hour and 15 minutes. So I will quickly note: if you want to find us, uh, Facebook, uh, bbillsmny. Facebook.com slash bbillsmny, Twitter.com slash bbillsmny. We're on iTunes. Just type in Buffalo Bills. Maybe next year you will find a whole bunch of our podcasts. We are hosted on Anchor uh, by Franker. <laughs> that was hilarious to me. Uh, and, yeah, we we usually take about – this is usually a good three- to four-week break at this time, uh, unless we do a quick Super Bowl summary, which we, we've done in the past when the Super Bowls had some especially talk-worthy developments. But otherwise, it has been a pleasure – uh, speaking with you uh, this week. Closing thoughts, guys? Um, no. 
Yep. All right. Uh, with that, I am Paul. Uh, I'm Frank. Have a good one, everyone.